name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In today's Gospel, Jesus beautifully displays the cooperation of his divine and his human natures. Anyone who has returned to visit a place where they used to live understands the deep-seated emotional attachment which we humans connect to our homes. Well, here is Jesus, who is God in human flesh, approaching his hometown of Jerusalem. But it's not his hometown in the human sense. When I say Jesus' hometown, you're probably thinking of Bethlehem or Nazareth, places where he was born and where he grew up. But I'm speaking more with respect to his divine nature. Remember, the whole Trinity is eternal. The Son and the Holy Spirit didn't begin to exist when the New Testament was written. They have always existed. Jesus is truly the God of the Old Testament. And so when God appears by, or shows his presence in the Old Testament by the glory cloud, that is always God the Son, that is Jesus. And so when I speak of Jerusalem, as Jesus' hometown, I'm talking about his ancient dwelling place. It is the place in the Old Testament where he ordained for his presence to be. It is the place he has ordained for, as the meeting point between God and man, where he would come to be with his people in the temple and deliver to them the forgiveness of sins in the sacrificial system. This is his home. This is where he loved to be. This is where he established himself. And as the Lord approached Jerusalem in today's gospel text, he wept. Jesus wept to see the place which was once the holy city, the one singular holiest city on the planet, being overrun with those who rejected him. But far greater than our nostalgia over places is our nostalgia over people, especially people whom we loved. And these people, these unbelieving apostates who were overrunning Jerusalem, were once God's beloved chosen people, his treasured possession in all the earth. He loved them and they loved him. This was the people which sang the words, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. The Lord is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Jerusalem was inhabited by his beloved people who had now rejected him. But Jesus was not weeping as if he were surprised when he saw the city. Jesus already knew throughout his ministry the spiritual state of the people in Jerusalem. He knew their denial of the gospel. He, he wept when he came upon the city because this tragic knowledge, which he always had, was finally coming into his sight. It was before his very face. And when we, we humans, see something that we already knew, it affects us differently emotionally. 
It might not even affect us at all until we actually see it. And when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem and the state it was in, his human emotions displayed his divine mercy and love. His eyes beheld in time the people whom he loved from eternity. And Jesus wept over the people because he desired their salvation. Jesus said, Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. That is, he wept that they did not know that he was the Messiah and that he had come to make peace between God and man. He wept just as we also should weep over those who, in their synagogues, read the word of the Lord in the books of Moses and in the prophets, yet who deny the word who has come in the flesh to bear our sin and to be our savior. We should truly weep for them, we should pray for them, and we should preach to them, those who deny the Messiah, yet think they are at peace with the Lord. Peace, joy, and eternal salvation come to us through Jesus Christ. This is our hope, and it is the only hope for all of mankind. There is no other way to heaven. And while Jesus is truly weeping over his ancient people, whom he called from the seed of Abraham, his grief over his ancient people is much broader than that. And the destruction of Jerusalem, which, which he hears prophesying when he talks about them being hedged in and being destroyed, it's actually foreshadowing a much greater destruction which is going to come. See, it is not only the descendants of Abraham who were created to be God's holy people, the descendants of Abraham are not the only ancient people of God. Rather, all of the children of Adam, all of the descendants of Adam, were designed for holiness. The ancient, the ancient people of God includes Adam and Cain, Hezekiah and Nebuchadnezzar, your neighbor and you. All people were intended for holiness perfection, faith toward God, and fervent love toward one another. But, of course, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes the people of Judah in today's Old Testament reading from Jeremiah, those who were trying to worship the Lord and Baal at the same time. Those people who have fallen include the Corinthians in today's epistle reading. They were quarreling over who had which spiritual gifts. And it certainly includes us. When we break these same commandments in our own ways. Now I'm willing to bet, I'm pretty sure, that you do not break the first commandment by literally burning incense to Baal. Probably not. But you do know that you break this commandment. You do not always fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And similarly, you probably don't bicker with your fellow Christians over who has the gift of tongues, who has the gift of prophecy, and who has the gift of interpretation. But the root problem in Corinth is still present among us also. It's the problem of covetousness. The sad reality is that this same kind of bickering 
is still fairly common in the Christian church across the world. As long as God grants good things, whether it be belongings, roles, or social statuses to different people, our sinful flesh will still covet what someone else has. And this sin is quite serious. Apart from Christ, the souls of sinners have only one destination. Just as Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70 in accord with Jesus' prophecy, so also will destruction one day come to the whole world, and eternal condemnation will come to those who loved this world rather than its creator. The, the latter part of this gospel, those last few verses, must be a complete mystery to those who deny God's wrath. Why would Jesus cleanse the temple and throw out the money changers if sin were no big deal? If God didn't care that much about sin, why would he be driving them out of the temple? Jesus is not a laid-back, anything-goes kind of man. He is not a laissez-faire parent. He is the righteous God who despises sin and wickedness. He cannot stand it. Sin is rebellion in his eyes. It is pure evil. And God weeps over this. It grieves him that we daily sin, and it grieves him that so many people willingly reject salvation. It is his will to save us all from the doomed fate which we have chosen for ourselves. Sin is a big enough deal for him to punish it. It is a big enough deal to rebuke, and it is a big enough deal for the eternal God to die to redeem you from it. God forgives your sins not because they aren't a big deal. They're a very big deal. God forgives your sins because he paid for them with his own blood. And in that same vein, the earlier part of this gospel reading must be utterly confusing to those who deny that God loves the whole world, even the wicked. Why would Christ weep over the lost if it were his will that they would be lost? Why would God weep about those whom he does not love? Jesus' weeping is a display of his merciful love toward his whole creation. Jesus wept, but he did not mourn as those who have no hope. He knew exactly what he was going to do to remedy this situation. As the psalmist says, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And Christ himself is no exception to this promise. Jesus bore your sin in his body and died on the cross to redeem you from death and the devil. And he rose again from the tomb to open the way of everlasting life. These are the things that make for peace between God and man that Jesus is speaking of. These are the things which Jesus came to Jerusalem in order to do. These are the things which Jerusalem did not believe and the things which he rejoices to make known to you today in the preaching of the word and in the sacrament of the altar. As Jesus sheds tears of grief over sin, so also does he shed tears of joy over your salvation. Jesus wept over Jerusalem 
but he needs no comforting. The ancient dwelling place of God has fallen, yet God still has a dwelling place. There is still a new Jerusalem, the one that is described in the 21st chapter of Revelation. There is a truly holy city where there is no longer any pain, death, or weeping anymore, and God is in the midst of her. This is the church in God's new creation. This is the promise of eternal life in Christ, which God has given to all who are baptized in his name. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The mercy and steadfast love of your God is your eternal paradise. In the name of Jesus.